Hi, my name's Steve Watson, and you're listening to Searching for Shinies. Hello and welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker book podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Riot. Richie, start with some bad news. Okay. I messaged you earlier in the week to say I had some belting Watto-related content to share with you. Which I cannot wait for, by the way. <laughs> well, the content uh, that I wanted to share with you and the listeners mm-hmm. for this, the second part of Steve Watson, yep. it was, note the tense, it was YouTube-related. Right. Um, I've gone to access the said content uh, today. And the message says, user has made this video private. Honestly, right, I am (laughs) genuinely heartbroken. I've spent the best part of this afternoon searching for a different version, but it is so rare, Mm. I don't think it exists anywhere. I'm going to describe what it was. Um, It's in the 90s, Newcastle had a series of VHS videos that they brought out Mm -hmm. semi-regularly. Uh, it was called black and white videos, and it was like a mix of sort of magazine-y features, a bit of match highlights, and some interviews. And during lockdown, someone shared one with me that contained a little feature that followed Steve Watson on a trip to Blockbuster Video. <laughs> and it's so, so fucking good, right? Mm. In 1995, all I remember is there was loads of copies of Judge Dredd around this particular branch of Blockbuster that Steve right. was in. And and the premise is that Steve, uh, he has been left in charge of renting videos for the team bus on a way trip. So it's his like job that has been delegated to him by Keegan, mm-hmm. gets videos in for that. So he goes regularly, he's like a regular at this branch of Blockbusters. The saving grace is uh, when I found this content during lockdown, I, I tweeted something about it. So I do have a screen grab of Watto holding a copy of Dumb and Dumber, which... <laughs> Which I'm going to share on our uh, social media accounts. So I'll post that on uh, at the Shiny Pod on on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So go go there, listener, and have a look for it. It's a it's a belter. He's wearing like an oversized '90s denim jacket, oh. um, and that is that is the only evidence I have of of, of this content. Um, does anyone out there have a copy of this video that they can share with us? I remember, like I say, Judge Dredd was everywhere. And he did say something. I remember he said, Rob Lee and Steve Howie just always moan about what films I pick. They don't even watch them. They just sit there eating pies. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, he said that on camera. So that's just, that's that was what I had uh, for us. I'm, I, what I wanted to do is play you the audio from that content. Oh. Obviously, I don't have it. Um, I have the picture, which I'll post on our social media account. But hopefully, someone out there listening, do you own the video? Can you make it? Can you send me it? Can you give me access to it? Because it's been, it is out on YouTube, but I'm blocked from viewing it. It's been made private. So make it public again and, and bring this back into our lives, please. Oh, dear, Matthew. I feel for you because I think it would have been great. Um, oh, but you haven't been. got it. So, mm. so yeah. Can you help me out here and uh, fill the, the gaping Watto blockbuster video hole that's been left by this unfortunate chain of events? Mm-hmm. Mm. Can I ask a question, Ketch? Um, any news from Alan Shearer? No, no, haven't gone there. Haven't gone there. Need to pluck the courage up to message him. Probably doing the new year. You, okay, okay. So you're going to go public this time? That's the idea. 
I think I think I'll go public in in the new year. But uh, as you know, been working hard on this Watto two parter, which has been fantastic. Yes, you have. You've been working very hard with the editing, and I think you deserve a round of applause. So I'll edit a round of applause in. Pop one in there if you want to. Um, and maybe you could try and, you know, rustle up some of your cronies to put together a campaign to get Shearer on the podcast next year. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Bit embarrassing. Oh, come on. Mm, keep it professional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. We'll see. I will, I will message him. I will message him. Good. Um, so, Matthew, I've got a little treat for you at the end of the show. Okay. I, I have a quiz. Oh. Yeah, we've had some feedback after my attempts on the sponsorship quiz, which I maintain once when you're on the spot, it is not easy. Mm. So I'm going to do, I'm going to, do, I'm going to put you on the spot in the uh, in the outro. Well, I can't do worse than you because it was frankly shocking and well, you, embarrassing you that, but... to the Chinese brand. But hey, come on, that's not fair. I, got, I put, <laughs> I, I pulled out some really good ones out of the bag in that in that bit. But anyway, the pressure is on you this this episode. So okay, get ready. Yeah, okay, let's let's do that. We have, of course, Steve Watson Part 2, and it's got quite a bit of Newcastle content in there because we spoke mm-hmm. so much about Newcastle with Steve, obviously. Um, we wrapped it up around about 1996, summer of, in, in Part 1. This episode contains 96-97 uh, season, which is the whole reason why we do the podcast. We like to focus mm-hmm. on players from the Merlin Premier League 1997 book. So we're going to start with that, and it's brilliant, you know, Shearer signs and I say brilliant Shearer signs then they lose 4-0 on the charity shield and lose it away to Everton on the opening day of the season but it picks up there's the 5-0 in there and then we get all the background on Kevin Keegan leaving Kenny Daglish arriving Rude Hullet and then Steve's amazing career with Villa Everton and West Bromwich West Bromwich Albion yeah and Chef Wed helping you out there <laughs> I literally <laughs> forgot I literally <laughs> forgot who we played for I've just I've edited the whole thing it's so unremarkable those no no it's, it's, there's interesting stuff in there so yeah well you can, you can tell it's about Newcastle anyway because the first five or ten minutes of this, this pod I don't think I say a word it's just I'm just so fed up after you two speaking for an hour and a half about Newcastle <laughs> I don't ask a question it's like can we please move on to Aston Villa yeah and we eventually do and that's why it's such a great pod not much of you talking <laughs> Here he comes. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Watson, part two. We'll move it on to 96, 97, which is the season this podcast is meant to be about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Newcastle, in this season, Steve, signed Shearer. World record fee, 15 and a bit million. Best striker in the world at the time. A Geordie. He's won a Premier League. Everyone in the fan base rightly assumed, well, assumed that this was the final piece in the jigsaw, but then Newcastle lose 4-0 in the charity shield and then even lost in the opening game, I remember, 2-0 to Everton. A bit of a mad time, I imagine. Yeah, we um, we were in the we were in a pre-season. We had a trip to um, the Middle East, didn't we? we were, Kevin, no, we were in Bangkok, sorry. And Kevin uh, pulled us all on a training pitch and sent us up and had explained that he'd bought Alan. He broke the world record and, he, and, and everybody was dead excited. Uh, there's probably only me and Lee maybe um, because we're all through Walls End Boys Club, I'd probably sort of met him. And then he joined us in Singapore. And, and he, you know, he was he was exactly what you'd hope he'd be, but more as in, you know, his goal-scoring ability and and uh, is there for all to see. But I, I, you know, what I remember about Alan is, is how how um, good he was at, every, you know, the, the other parts of the game. 
know, as a fullback, you could put a ball up to Alan and you just knew it was going to stick. Um, he was totally uncomplicated. He was he was hard as nails. Um, just knew what he had. He knew what it was all about. He'd get the ball. He'd take two touches. And I'm constantly saying to my strikers now, just simplify your game. And that's all. You know, Alan would just get the ball, get wide, get in the box. That's all he wanted to do. And um, he was such a good player to, to be able to, as a fullback, just to be able to pull the ball onto his chest, knowing that he'd, he'd retain it and keep possession. And then up up top with him, Les, who's you know, potentially even stronger and you know. With, Better physical attributes, maybe not Alan's goal scoring record, but and then Peter just playing behind them. You know, it was it was a, it was a really really dangerous sort of front three that we had. Um, mm. But no, he was he was everything you'd, you'd hope he'd be. But he was actually a better player once he got there than, than I even thought he was. I remember thinking that he was one of the best crossers at at the club, and when they were struggling Newcastle, I remember thinking if he could just cross it to himself, maybe with Newcastle would be onto a good thing, and not 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 his own crosses in, but he wasn't that good. He was, you know what though, he was, he was, he was a really good crosser of the ball, but um, he was just so ruthless. That, like, I, I keep using him as, I know it's easy to use the Premier League's top scorer as an example, but just things like in training, um, you know, the, there'll be an easy chance drop to him in a shooting session or in a five-a-side where I've seen players almost, you know, try and be clever with them, you know, back heel it in or chip it in or try and dink it in. He'd literally every single chance he got, he'd just lace it. Um, he'd take the keeper's head off in training, you know, rather than not score a goal. And it's just, I just thought he was pretty, he was so single minded in, in what he wanted to do. Um, you know, he, 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 he just, he was just a goal scoring machine. That's all he thought about. Um, and, you know, that's an, I, I use him as an example to everybody who, you know, sometimes, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll mess about in training instead of scoring a goal. And you think, like, it's the hardest thing to do in football, you know, it, it really is like goal scorers are at absolute premium. You can't afford to not practice doing everything right in front of goal, and he's a great example of that. Definitely, yeah. Steve, I think this was your best season as a Newcastle player, 96-97. You made the right-back spot your own, and you were involved in almost every single game in the league and cup. So I'm just having a look. It was 46 appearances that year, your most in a season ever. Did, do you think this is your best season as a pro? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so, and I, I think, as I say, I... I Kevin didn't play me there a lot, but I think this is the season I sort of started um, started moving into the centre a little bit more. And some of me, some of my favourite games and favourite performances were probably this season as well. And, and so yeah, no, I'd, I'd have to I'd have to say yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree. Mm. The five nil was was this season Newcastle five Man United nil, one of the all time great moments. But looking back at it all, this is probably when the entertainers era ended. Ten weeks after that game, Keegan had gone. Yeah, no, it's 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 when you look at the game and you look at where we were and the and the euphoria about it and you know went into town afterwards and then it was literally like we had won something that night. Um, to 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 say that ten you know, ten weeks later, Kevin would have Kevin, Kevin would have thought enough was enough. Uh, you could never have seen it coming. Um, we were you know we were dumbstruck by it. Uh, none of us none of us seen it coming at all. Did you, was there any sense at all that he'd lost a bit of spring in his step to the, the normal Kevin? You know what? Potentially they might have been, but at the time we didn't notice anything. Um, I, I, you know, we didn't have any inkling. You know, Terry and, and and Arthur and Faz. You know, they didn't, they didn't let anything slip about it. And uh, we just, you know, just business as usual, really. But uh, no, we we did we didn't. I mean, it was it took us took us by surprise the way that it probably took all you lads by surprise. 
Kenny Daglish came in and, and he kept faith with you, really. Um, he continued playing. And Newcastle finished second again, though there wasn't there wasn't a title race as such that season. How did you find Kenny compared to, to Kevin? Well, they're very different, but they're both, um, you know, as as football icons, as a young as a young footballer, um, you know, you, you couldn't you couldn't wish for two better uh, two better managers. Kenny was different. Kenny had won, you know, Kenny had won a Premier League. He'd, he'd um, he had a slightly different methods to Kevin, but I absolutely loved playing under Kenny and. I have I've had many a row, um, many a row with people um, about Kenny because I, you know, I, as I say, I played some of my best football under him. Um, I've had some of my best sort of nights in football, European football, and he had some he had some really tough decisions to make. And I know you know you you live and die by your decisions as a manager and your recruitment and things like that. But yeah, he, he had some really really tough decisions to make. He he potentially thought that we'd seen the best of Genola. Um, and as I alluded to before, you know, I thought the first sort of six six months, first season, he was absolutely untouchable. But was he the was he the match winner that he was when he first came? Or was he maybe getting a little bit itchy feet when Kevin went? Um, he had that really tough decision to make on Les, where you know he might have had people saying to him, "Well, you know, that's really good money for him at this stage." And we've got you know, uh, sorry, we've got. Um, and I know people people don't look back at him with great admiration, maybe at Newcastle, but. If you remember John Dal Thomason in pre-season playing up top with with Allen and playing off Allen and Les, and um, he looked an absolute world beater. And just it was just a sort of cocktail of things that went wrong, uh, which was Les getting sold, Allen Allen rupturing his ankle ligaments at, at, at Everton in pre-season. Um, Tino tore his stomach muscles, and all of a sudden we've got Thomason, who was a ten really, or somebody that plays off a, a striker starting the season up front on his own and it just wasn't his it just wasn't um it wasn't for him uh and i think he proved when he left newcastle that you know he, i think he played i think he was champions league top scorer was he for AC milan and he had a, had a, mm. ended up having a good career but yeah i just think things conspired a little bit and I suppose a little bit like Moyes at uh at man U, where you're following um you're following fergie it, it was tough but as, as you won't find a player, I don't think that. Or I might be wrong, but I, I wouldn't have thought you'd find a player that played under him at Newcastle that didn't think a lot of him. Hmm. Did it, as a player in that squad, did it feel like things were starting to fall apart? Because you, you've mentioned Ferdinand Ginola going, um, the replacements were, you know, older pros in Rush, Barnes, and, and Pierce. How did it feel at that time as a, as a professional? Did you think that you know you'd, you'd sort of plateaued with Newcastle? Yeah, I mean, did did we? Did we look as good as we did that um, that season? You know, we all got with strongest Newcastle sides and we're ahead. Um, and you know, well, things were different. You know, we had to bring different players in. They can either they can either work and you become better, or you know, they're not, they're not they don't quite click as much as you have. And, and you know, do I think we was we played a different style of football a little bit? Um, and I'll always think, you know, Kenny Kenny took us to second, took us into the Champions League. Took us to an FA Cup final, um, so you know it, it wasn't a certainly wasn't a bad time. Um, but you know I, I, I know like everybody, every Newcastle fan, you remember what your favourite team was, and it was probably you know probably the, the strongest team that you could think of was probably the season before. Mm. Yeah, it just kind of felt overnight that uh, we'd gone from you know Les Ferdinand, Janola, and Tino, and then you've got like Ian Rush, John Barnes, Stuart Pearce, and you're like, how has this happened? But I suppose as a player, you don't. You don't really feel the change that much. It just sort of happens organically in the background, and 
you look up and, and that two's around you. Also, I don't think you could when you've got Alan Shearer and Asprilla there, you're not gonna go and you're not gonna go and spend millions on another couple of strikers just because they're injured, you know what I mean? You, you, you're not gonna be able to do that. So, you know, maybe, maybe the lads that brought in were the lads that could afford, the lads that were available at the time, uh, that were willing to come, that had worked with Kenny before. Um, because you did, as I say, you did have, you had Piazzi, um, Asprilla and Shira, um, you know, at the club. So uh, maybe it was a bit of that. Maybe it was they couldn't bring, um, they couldn't bring like-for-like like like replacements in because you've got, you've got the most expensive player in the world at the club. Mm-hmm. This is the era where Newcastle entered the Champions League as well, and in that in the the first game was one of the most famous in in Newcastle history. Three two home win against Barcelona. Um, again, looking back at the record, six years prior to this game, the club drew one one at home to Ipswich in front of sixteen thousand. The languishing the twenty first in the old Division Two. Now you know three 0 up at home to Barcelona against Figo and Rivaldo, and and you were there for that that six year journey. Steve, did you ever step back and think about how far the club had come and how far you'd come as a player? Yeah, because I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Newcastle fan. So, um, and although I'm playing, uh, my whole life outside of football was surrounded by Newcastle fans. You know, like my dad, my brother, my father-in-law, um, all my mates, all my schoolmates. Like, they're all fanatical Newcastle fans, and, and you, you feel like I know you're playing, but you also feel like you've been on this journey with them. And that's what was great about it. I mean, you know, you'll hear lads all the time say that when we, you know, when we used to go into Newcastle um, after a game, win, lose, or draw, um, you know, we didn't, we weren't separated from everybody. You now we weren't in the VIP area. We weren't. We were just stand at the bar amongst all the, amongst all the fans, and and you and you you talk to them, and they tell you you are shit, or they tell you you are a good game, or, um, and you know, we, we that was we had like a. We had a real link to the to the fans then. I know it's again, it's not not blaming anybody, but it's it is society is just different now. Um, and I, I would guess not just Newcastle. Any football fans probably don't have any kind of interaction or um, any kind of sort of um, time, chance to socialise with with their heroes. But back then, you were you were just you were, there was no separation between any of them. Yeah. Again, another reason why we we like to focus on the nineties because it was that perfect era where there was the hero worship, but the accessibility was there as well. So, yeah, yeah. The the Barcelona game though, just one more on that. That you you mentioned you played centre half that night. You, you're a manager now. How tempting is it to to bring that one out? Oh, the time I played centre half against Figo and Rivaldo in the Champions League and we beat them three two. <laughs> I brought that out a few times, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one to have up the sleeve, to be honest. You know, you know that thing's quite funny. Listen, about if you ever get to know me, you'll know there's not an ounce of uh, arrogance about yeah. it. But the one I do like to say um, was uh, when the FA Cup was drawn sometimes, and you say, I thought the FA Cup only started in January. Yeah, yeah. You get the lads calling you all kinds. But no, it's. it's um, <laughs> No, it, it, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really one of them, to be honest with you. I've got, um, I've got re- massively fond memories, but, uh, but no, I'm not. I'm not I'm one of them to bring it up too often. Mm, fair enough. But yeah, I mean, that, obviously, that was a, gr- a great game and a great night. And but ultimately, the season, I think, '97, '98, was a disappointment compared to the previous two, when Newcastle had finished second. This season finished thirteenth. But there was a, a really good FA Cup run all the way to the final. Um, you didn't start, but you came on for Warren Barton, who'd been asked to play right wing after 
Keith Gillespie he failed his fitness test. Yeah, I was. So one thing I've, so one gripe I've got with Kenny, um, I, I broke. Um, it's that fashionable injury now, but I, back before it was fashionable because um, I think Beck's made it fashionable. But I actually broke my metatarsal um, against Stevenage. Oh, yeah. I had the two games against Stevenage, and I remember. Yeah. Um, I remember I was in the England squad as well. On on the, I was supposed to be meeting up on a Sunday, mm-hmm. so we were playing. We were playing um, Stevenage, and I went. To, I went to fire a ball across. Uh, with my laces and I just ended up kicking the, the left back stud perfectly right in the middle of my foot I remember going down and I remember Derek coming on and there was like a little hole in the top of my boot and I remember Derek saying oh, this, could, this could be bad this I went Derek I says I'm meeting up with England tonight I think Carrie Neville's mm-hmm. injured I said like I'm, I'm going to have to get back on here and then I stood up and I went to, I planted my foot and like the sort of bloods came out the hole Oh my uh, god! And it was almost like a, a bit of a crunchy uh, noise, oh and then I and I thought <laughs> I can't. Right? And, then, and then that so that was that, and I missed the um, I missed me, me what I'd consider probably my best chance of playing for England. But then uh, also missed a, missed a good few games, and I remember I only came back the game before the FA Cup final, and I think Kenny just thought I wasn't I hadn't played enough football to start. I think he played Pistoni at right yeah. back, um, so. Yeah, that's the, that's the gripe I've got with him. I said, look, I'll get, so I'll get through this on adrenaline alone. I says, you don't need to worry about your fitness, but um, yeah, I had to make that decision. So yeah, I got on. I played in the FA Cup final, but um, I'd love to have started it. Yeah, definitely. The end of Kenny was a bit strange. He, he was given money to spend in the summer of '98, but um, he signed some big players, Stefan Givosh, who just won the World Cup, Didi Haman, Nobby came as well that summer, but sacked after two games and replaced by Rude Hullet. That was that a, another shock to the players? I think any time you get you get a chance to bring new players in and you don't really get a chance to to bed them in and and, and uh, see what they can do is obviously it's, it's a bit of a shock as a manager. So it probably was to us as well. I mean, some worked, some didn't. You know, Didi was a great player. Um, Nobby, Nobby was a great player and a great character, and, and the other lads that you mentioned probably didn't quite work as well. So, so yeah, and then obviously Rude coming in, sort of it shook things up a lot. There was a lot changed, and uh, as you've seen, there was a there was a, a bit of a, a mass exodus um, for a lot of us. Here's another question out of left field for you. Just thinking about Guivarch, when a player joins a club and they don't hit the ground running. Do you find that it's hard to get to know them, and they, you know, they struggle to come out of their shell? I can never remember um, getting close to any of the later signings, really. Um, mm. And it was always still the ones that had been there the longest that you'd, you'd get on with, not through any, you know, not not through any other reason, and they just were different to the ones we had as, as personalities. Um, mm. And maybe that's because football was 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 transgressing into the the fitness side of it, and the and the statistics side of it, and the um, and the diet side of it, you know, maybe it was just the start of that era. Mm. I, I just uh, thinking about the actual signing and you know, new signing walking into a dressing room. I, I would guess more often than not, players would come in and be nervous and sort of humbled by walking into a group of lads they don't know. Have you come across many players who've come in and just from day one been like huge character, really outgoing? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the four lads, I think it's probably because they all signed together, but you know, the four lads that signed at the same time, there's Warren, David, and Shaka, um, you know, they just they just came in, and, and I think it's because obviously the, the sign at the same time they're probably all in the mm-hmm. hotel together. 
they, they came, almost came in as a group, and it, and it, and it was. Uh, and I remember the great, the late great Gary Speed as well. Um, he just came in because he had because of the personality he had and and the, the standing in the game and the respect that he, he got. Um, he just came in like he knew him all your life. So yeah, there was people that found it easier than others. Hullet kept you in the side for for about half a dozen games, but by October, you were gone. I've always wondered what happened. Did it was it just a conversation? I don't see you in my plans. You're free to go, or did you ask to leave? How how did it end for you at Newcastle? Um, you know what? I think I don't know whether I was just I was so hurt, maybe a bit a bit impetuous. I was so hurt by the fact that I was told I could go, um, and the, the fact that um, he more or less said that you know he was willing to listen to, and I'm. I dare say I'm even counting Alan in this, but he more or less made it sound like he was willing to accept offers for anybody that was there because he just wanted to completely redo it. Um, and then once once he'd said that, it, it was Everton originally. I ended up going to Aston Villa, but originally Everton who put a bid in. And, and then the agent phone was on a Sunday night and said, Woods had a bid from Everton. And I sort of said, well, why are you telling me? Because, you know, I've had, there's been bids before for me and... and, and you know, he never really phoned me. He says, yeah, but he says, Rude's accepted the bid and, and wants to know if, you, if you're going to want to talk to Everton. And I went in the next day and, and what I thought was a bit disappointing was the fact that he wasn't just in the office on his own and, and there was three of them. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to talk to my players and, and things like that, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that they'd be able to see us one-on-one. And, and it was just a little, just, it just didn't feel right anymore. Um, and, mm. you know, I think if I'd have stayed as I still played, because I still think I was, better than what they had. I was probably in my in prime as well. You know, I was only 20, 25, was I, I think, maybe. But yeah, I think once I made the decision, I just I just I had to see it through. And then probably two two weeks after me, I think Philippe left and then Bats left and then I think Didi left. So I think it was the four, 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 sort of, four of us um, all, all had probably the same sort of conversations with them. And then um, we all decided the same thing. You know, hindsight's a great thing. Obviously, in hindsight, would I have still played? I think I probably would. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'd have known he was, you know, if I'd have known things would have changed as quickly as they did, and, and I'd have missed out on the chance of playing under Sir Bobby, um, would I have been able to be patient? Yeah, but again, you know, there's no point looking back now. Mm. You mentioned Everton there. Obviously, you signed for Villa. What happened with the Everton opportunity? In the end, they, they, they signed a striker called uh, Bakayoko, I think it was, mm-hmm. and um, they didn't they didn't have the. Uh, I think it cost more than they thought it was going to cost, and they, and they really wanted them. And I think they didn't have the they didn't have the fee that Newcastle had accepted. Um, and then at, at the time, um, Villa were doing great. Uh, they had a load of lads that I knew. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent time with them. Obviously, Alan Thompson was there. Uh, Southgate, Ekiog. Um, Julian George, all lads who had gone through the England, uh, Alan Wright, been through all the England levels with. So that was uh, that was where I decided to go. Mm-hmm. And it was John Gregory that signed you. What was he like as a character? Um, very confident. Very confident, <laughs> um, as, as I think anybody that's played under him will, will testify to. Played in, a, played in a back three, which really should have suited me down to the ground because um, I did, I, mean, I, I consider myself and, and Sort of John would have been two of the two of the lads that you know probably would just come up with the first era of fullbacks being more attack minded. So wing back should have suited me really down to the ground. The first season went well. Second season I got sorry first season, but I got sent off the first game. Sorry, the last game of the season. So I was suspended for the first three games of the following season. 
which was mm -hmm. a nightmare because when he's preparing his teams the last few games of pre-season, he's preparing them to start the season and I can't play. So mm -hmm. it was a really strange pre-season for us. And it, it was a lad called Mark Delaney played. Mm -hmm. And really that whole season, Mark stayed in. And I, I didn't really get a look in. Um, so it didn't, you know, just, it's just, don't, you know, notice, got nothing, no uh, axe to grind. It's just some, sometimes it doesn't work. And yeah. I just felt like the second season at Villa just didn't work at all. And, and they were happy to let me go. I was wanting to get away. Um, tried my best to get back to Newcastle uh, because obviously Sir Bobby was there. Rude had left. Um, but I think they got Stephen Carr at the time. He was a very good right back. Um, and as it happens, you know, I can't imagine anything else being as enjoyable as Everton was, uh, apart from obviously my hometown club. So I had a great five years at Everton. Mm. You've brushed past Villa pretty quickly there, given you've spent an hour and a half talking about Newcastle. I don't know if you know it's like catch. Excited yeah, Villa it's not questions. As good. It's not as good. <laughs> but that that season where you signed for Villa, they've sold Dwight York for twelve and a half million, but then they've really splashed the cast. Thompson from Bolton for four point five, Unsworth for three million, Merson for six point seven five, Dublin for five point seven five, Steve Stone for over five million, you were four million. That I mean that's a lot of cash in one season to be spending. Did you feel like they were putting something together here to have a, a real go, or what was it that drew you in and attracted you to Villa? Well, as just as I said before, there's a, you know, there's a there's a lot of good players that I knew, I knew what they were capable of. Yeah, that was that, that was one of the main reasons. Regarding Villa, it was uh, yeah, they were, they were up at the top of the league. I, I genuinely thought it was a, it was a team that could um, could go on, uh, could go on. I mean, there were some very very good teams at the time. You know, Arsenal were starting to build their special team and. Um, no, man, you were still a, a, an absolute powerhouse, but no, Villa were doing really well with a squad that I, I knew I'd get on with. Um, mm. And I think, to be honest with you, it's a record that I don't. It was a very, it was a mainly English dressing room as well, which was quite strange yeah. in that era because there's so many foreign players have been in the country. But I think Villa mm. might be one of the teams I played in with Villa ended up being the the last full English eleven that that's played. Um, and, uh, and as I say, that's um, it was a very it was. Benito Carboni came in, but there was very few foreign lads in. It was, it was, it was a, a large English squad. Mm -hmm. you, you would have played alongside uh, Gareth Southgate in that back three as well. Did you ever foresee Gareth going on to do what he, what he did? And he was touted as a, as a future manager, but maybe wouldn't have thought he'd do as well as he has done. Yeah, I mean, he was really intelligent. You know, he was a very, he was a thinking man's player. He was a great captain, very eloquent. Um, much better, much better player than I'd ever sort of given credit for until he, until I actually played with him. He was playing in the middle of a back three. Hugo Ekeog was one side of him. Young Gareth Barry coming through, played left side centre half. You know, um, again somebody that went on to have a phenomenal career. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I knew he was a very intelligent guy. I knew that he'd he'd end up doing really well uh, in whatever he set his mind to do. But uh, I'm, I'm pleased, you know. I, I'm pleased for him as a person, but I, and I know he's, he's done a fantastic job. He handles everything so well, so I'm not I'm not really that surprised to be honest. What what was what was the partnership of Southgate and Ehiog like to what you'd seen previously? Because obviously they played multiple years at Villa, then a load of years at Borough together, and they were rock solid. How would they compare to what you'd seen at Newcastle? Um, I, I just it was a different system. It was a um, as I say, Gareth because of his intelligence swept everything up. Hugo was a he was just a powerful attacker and, uh, you know, he used to attack everything, strong as an ox. Um, 
aerially very, very strong. And I think they complemented each other really well. And, and Gareth was a little bit, probably more of the Philippe Albert style of centre-half. He, mm. uh, he was elegant. He used to come out with a ball. He used to be able to, he took risks, which he got away with a lot, um, probably because he was so yeah, a big self-belief in himself. So I think the three of them, um, very different, but they, they, uh, they all complement each other really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Villa that season, I don't even know this, but they were top for 16 weeks. At fifth, uh, then another five weeks in second, but then a turn of the year, things sort of fell apart a little bit and you ended up finishing sixth. Did you at any point think that you were on, to, on for the Premier League with Villa? Um, I knew we would give everybody a game. I knew it would be very tough. Uh, I knew it would be very tough to... Um, to maintain it for the whole season, but I knew we, I, you know I'd fancy us against against most teams. But I, I, you know I think them two them two seasons with Villa, you, you look at you look at the fact that I think we finished sixth twice, which you know in nowadays terms it would be it would be a huge um, a huge achievement. Uh, uh, but I don't you know I don't I think because I think when in time you leave it, you're leading the league, um, you, you look you, you know and you don't you don't end up carrying it on. You look like it's a failure. But if you look at it really. Um, you know, we did we, we did have uh, we did have two really strong sort of seasons, mm-hmm. and that includes a FA Cup final as well, albeit one that you lost to Chelsea. It didn't look like you were involved at all. So uh, these are the this is the Delaney years, I take it. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, just by the end of it, I wasn't um, you know I wasn't you know I wasn't involved at all. Um, me and me and Tom and Steve Stone for for large spells were. Um, I did. I was beginning to think it was a Geordie thing. I was beginning to think it was an anti Geordie thing in the end because you know he paid good money for the three of us. Uh, but you know what? Like I'm, I'm looking at it now and I'm thinking if I'd have been good enough and I'd have played well enough, I'd have been in the team. So you know, I'm not going to stand here and blame the manager. Um, you know, if I, if, if, if I deserve to play, I play. It certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't be anything uh, personal. That, that that FA Cup final as well, Steve. You'll remember the other semi final was Newcastle v Chelsea and Newcastle. I've never left a stadium feeling more disappointed than, than that game where, where Rob Lee equalised it, but then Gus Poyer scored the winner. It could have been an, a Villa-Newcastle final, the last ever game at the old Wembley, but these sliding doors moments, eh? Yeah, no, I remember it. I, I went to, I mean, I went to, I went to the, the, the previous season as well. I went to the, I went to the final as a, as a, as a, just as a fan with all my, with my, with my dad and my brothers as the, as the Man U final. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I've been there. Uh, I would have been somewhere to do it. I'd have, well, I'd say that I'd have been, I'd have been sitting in the sand anyway. So I know that we sure I would have been cheering on then. <laughs> in the night, in the tune end. <laughs> so it's the following season that you do sign for Everton eventually. Um, now, I read that apparently you turned down an approach from Middlesbrough. Can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, I, I, I'd spoke to both clubs. Um, I'd, I'd spoke to both clubs, and I, and I was really close. I was really close to. Um, to go in the middle, I had a good chat, but I remember I, I had a conversation with Arthur Cox, and he convinced me to um, he convinced me to, to go and work with Walter and um, with Walter and uh, Archie at Everton, and and I just and, and, and it made it made sense what he said. Would you know, being the age I'm at, I had a family would coming back because I'd I inevitably I'd have gone back and lived in Newcastle, mm-hmm. um, and. You know how would I have found that um, going back and living in the northeast? Uh, I just thought for my career it was probably the wisest move uh, at the time. It was a tough decision, uh, but obviously not one I regret because, uh, as I said, I had five great years at Everton. Mm-hmm. 
Well, on that note, um, I'm a keen fantasy football player, and um, I used to always pick you in my team. You being <laughs> classified as a defender, but you know capable of chipping in with assists and the odd goal. And at 2003, whilst at Everton. You failed to keep a clean sheet in the first six games, winning only once. I thought, do you know, what? I'm going to make a change. I'm going to have to get rid of Steve. Do you know what happened next? Wouldn't it been the hat trick, was it? It was, yeah. The very <laughs> next game, you've scored a hat trick. <laughs> yeah. I'm still fuming about it. <laughs> what, would that, what would that have got your points wise? Obviously, oh. you wouldn't have capped. You wouldn't have oh. <laughs> I don't know. In the teens, possibly in the twenties as well. So, um, Steve. We we have notes that we that we do and, and Richie's written in the notes here, leave pause for an apology. Yeah. <laughs> well you're talking through it, Ketch, so <laughs> leave a little pause now. Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Apology accepted. Do you on the topic of fantasy football, did you and teammates ever pay any attention to it? did it even register that this was happening, that thousands of of people at home were picking you in teams and Hoping you get crosses in for assists and all that sort of stuff. Does it bother you at all? No, to be honest with you, I never, I never give it a second thought, um, and I still don't really. Um, I know we, all my kids are in leagues and things like that, but I just, uh, no, I never give it a second thought at the time. The, the thing that you did, you know, you used to, and you couldn't help but doing it, you, especially when you were younger. The thing you waited for all week was to see what marks Alan Oliver would give you in the Chronicle. Yeah. That's about as, that's about as far as I went. Been a good few rows with Alan Oliver about his marking. So you mentioned already that you were signed by the late Walter Smith at Everton um, at a time where things were really looking up. Everton spent some money, but they spent money they didn't have. So I don't know if you remember this, but they signed a few players on the premise of a big sponsorship deal that fell through. So Pistoni, Niarco, Alexanderson, Graveson and Duncan Ferguson all been signed alongside yourself. But then fairly quickly after that, they were in a bit of financial trouble. Does that ring a bell with you? I don't really remember the, 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 the financial part of it. I certainly remember all the players that you're talking about. And I, and I do remember that we, uh, we, didn't, um, we, weren't at the right, we weren't at the right side of the league either back then. But I can't really yeah. remember the financial, the financial side of it. I don't know whether that was kept away from us a little bit or what. Mm-hmm. But, um, not, not particularly, no. The average age of the squad at that time seemed quite high with the likes of David Weir, Richard Goff, Gazza, Dave Watson, even Kevin Campbell. Did that make for a different atmosphere in the dressing room compared to what you'd seen before? Um, no, the, 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 the dressing room at Everton um, was as close as I've ever, you know, as I could compare it being like at Newcastle. Very, very strong group who all got on great. Probably more so maybe the, 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 the second and third season um, because you know, when we started to do really well under Moyes, we, we, we'd sort of, we'd got, Wayne was coming through and Leon Osman had been out on loan. I think well, I might have loaned Leon Osman out and he came back, you know, something like the player that you, you saw, um, tremendous player. Uh, Tim Cahill, tremendous, you know, tremendous signing. So, um, sort of the second and third season at Everton, the dressing room was outstanding. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's where we got, you know, most success as well, uh, those two seasons. Mm-hmm. So, we just focus on some of the teammates from that dressing room. Starting off with Duncan Ferguson, what, what was he like as a as a colleague? Yeah, brilliant. One off, one off. <laughs> I was talking where uh, I, I played for I played for Newcastle reserves against um, Everton reserves when uh, it was his first game back after he'd been in, in in prison, and I was I just remember marking him from a corner, and I remember as you do you're grappling and grabbing, and he's just just stood there didn't didn't move an inch and just staring at me and he just sort of said to me, "What the fuck are you doing?" 
Leave me on marking it. And he went, don't touch me. <laughs> I'm looking up at him and he's just came up with Nick and I'm like, Jesus. Um, and then he just, he, as, a, as a teammate, he was exactly the same. He, he, he was he was hard as nails. He was, he was a one-off. But you know what? Again, a little bit like we're talking about with Batty, much better footballer than maybe people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, two very good feet, great finisher, great touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, scorer, big goals, aerially just a, a beast. But for somebody as physically big and as strong, you know, he, he did have his injury problems and he didn't... Yeah. Um, didn't really play as many games as you'd, you'd, you'd hope you would. To go such a such a weapon for you, you know what I mean? Mm. Did he have a sense of humour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's great. He's a great, uh, a great banter, great banter. Mm. Him and Gravison and Rooney. Uh, mm-hmm. Gravison was, you know, just again, he's he's a, a unique character, <laughs> uh, but again, tremendous player. Mm. Yeah, he was next on my list actually. Yeah, Gravison. What, what a career ended up. He's like multi-millionaire, ended up at Real Madrid. Fantastic life. Yeah, he's, if, if, if the stories are true, he's, he's, a, he's a professional gamer now. He's, mm-hmm. like, he's, he's ranked in the top 50 in the world at Call of Duty, I believe, something like that. <laughs> he, invested in his, he invested in his agent's um, company in Denmark, where I think he made three-figure millions out of it. Uh, and he's, he's shacked up with a porn star in Vegas now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> if Colin did uh, retirement... <laughs> <laughs> Where did it all go wrong, Thomas? <laughs> One guy that came to to Borough later in his career was Abel Xavier. What was he like? Because he seemed a bit of a maverick. Um, didn't really have much in common with Abel. Got to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> did, yeah, ultimately, I suppose I've, I came to play in his position. So um, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get on great with the fellow that's came and joined you. He got in. He, he nicked a. He nicked a move to Liverpool. Uh, he did, yeah. which I definitely didn't see coming, um, mm. because he was he wasn't playing at Everton. But um, he went. He went on. He went on. Played for Liverpool, and then obviously, as you just say, totally unique. Totally unique uh, character. Loved, loved his. Um, he loved his clothes. Uh, but he used to drive a smart car. One of the first people I'd ever seen drive a smart car, and he was about mm. he was about six foot three. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, just 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 a. Just a um, just a strange cat, but not a bad bloke. Gaza loved him. Gaza used to love him. Gaza mm-hmm. was constantly um, trying to wind him up. You mentioned Rooney. Obviously, he was a teenage player coming through at Everton, going going on to do what he did. It's our first opportunity to talk about Rooney because you know we just mm. we normally just cover the nineties. But was it apparent that there was um, some superhuman footballer in the Everton academy ready to take the world on? Yeah, I remember the I remember the master Jimmy. Um, saying to us one day, I'm going to go and watch the Youth Cup tonight, I'm dying to see Rooney. And we'd not, we'd not really heard too much of him. And then, I think he was only, I think he was, I think he was still 15, and it was school holidays when he came in, and uh, Walter allowed him to train with us at 15. And I just couldn't believe, like, forget the ability, I couldn't believe how strong and how aggressive he was um, at 15. He was just, he was going, he was just going in shoulder to shoulder. People like Alan Stubbs and Davy Weir and David Unsworth and himself, and um, just completely fearless. And then the way he struck a ball at that age as well, you know, like he'd be somebody that would be like trying to hit the crossbar from the halfway line when the balls was like really heavy and and uh, at fifteen, and you think it's impossible for a fifteen-year-old, but he just, he just had the technique and the power. And then obviously, you know what. He's, he's, he's an early couple of games, the goal he scored against Arsenal just sort of got mm. him on the scene and, as you say, he broke every record of 
available really hasn't he and, and you still hear people saying he hasn't you know he didn't uh, he didn't reach his potential or he, did, he didn't which is nonsense in my mind yeah mm. I think that goal must be in the top three or four most famous Premier League goals yeah the way it happened the England keeper the age of the lad um I was actually commenting. I, I was I was injured. I was commentating. I was doing Everton radio with uh, with the press officer, and I think I just came out. I just I, I just came out with some expletive that Darren had to apologise <laughs> about. I just went I just went nuts. Like I couldn't couldn't believe he had the audacity, the touch, and then funny enough, about five minutes later, I nearly done it again. Um, he, he nearly scored a similar type of goal, and as I say, he just got better and better. And obviously, Everton fans were. Quite rightly gutted that he left and went to Man U, but you know it was probably probably had to be where he's going to win loads of trophies because he's a player that deserved to, you know. Mm. Took him to the trophies. Yeah, if you could compare your you as a sixteen-year-old in the Newcastle dressing room to what Wayne Rooney was like as a sixteen-year-old in the Everton dressing room, similar kind of characters? <laughs> no, he was um, he was he was battle hardened. He really was. He was. Um, he was just ready to go. Um, he was um, he was he was really well coached as well. You know, like the Everton Academy at the time um, were very good. Um, he's uh, came through the same time as um, Tony Hibbert and, and Leon Osman and, and uh, mm-hmm. Nick Chadwick. Uh, they had a really good they had a really good sort of youth system at the time, and they and they all ended up there's two there'd be two or three more Phil Jevons, um, all players that um, ended up playing in the first team. So you know they had a really good sort of Really good youth system at the time. You know, him and Duncan, Wayne and Wayne and Duncan got on really well. Wayne was a mm. well. Alan was Alan was um, Alan was Wayne's hero. Funny enough, I remember we played um, we played Newcastle uh, when Wayne when Wayne played and we played them in, a, in whatever the equivalent of the League Cup was. And I said to Alan, Alan wasn't playing, but he was at the club that night. Um, and I said, you want to see this this young lad? And we beat Newcastle on, it was on penalties actually, beat Newcastle on penalties and I remember seeing Alan after the game and I says, what do you think? He went, wow. He said, he's sensational. Um, and then I think, I think I'd arrange for Wayne just to say hello to him and Wayne was, Wayne didn't get starstruck by anybody but I think, uh, I think Alan was one of his heroes as well as, he's a big Everton fan so Dunk would have been his hero as well so him and Dunk got on really well. Mm-hmm. Was there still a drinking culture when he came through? Wayne? Mm. Um, yeah, no, we, we still had a we still had a decent, um, you know, it wasn't anything like Newcastle. It wasn't anything like the amount of times, but you know, you weren't out two, three times a week. But you, you know, when we did, when we did arrange to do some, you know, we did have a lot of uh, we did have a lot of um, people turning up to, to go out, and we had a really good spirit. But um, I remember a couple of years after that, I, remember I keep in touch with uh, Leon Osman and speak well. I, I speak to him quite a bit, and it was. Two or three years after I left Everton, I said, "You still got that? Um, you still got good, like, like a good bunch, good dressing room, and that." And, and he just said, "Well, we try to organise a Christmas party last year, and there's two put the names down to go." And I thought, that. oh, "That's no. totally changed as well." Then that's mad. That is why we don't do a podcast on the two thousands. Don't do no. the two thousands. No, no, there's not many <laughs> boring to talk about. You could, you could put that on before the watershed, definitely. Yeah, so actually, the mid two thousands, you you left Everton and you went over to West Brom, and they'd just done that famous great escape under uh, Robbo. How did that one come about, Steve? I uh, 
I'd done well at Everton uh, under Moyes. I'd, I'd thoroughly, you know, I'd enjoyed it. We'd, um, we'd we'd finished in the club's highest position for a long time uh, since the, you know, since their glory days of the eighties. I think I think it was the first time we finished ahead of Liverpool for a long time, uh, mm. and I played a lot of games. And um, yeah, I, I'd just turned thirty, and I, I'd had a conversation. And by the way, I, you know, I think the world of Moyes. I, I rate him massively highly as a, as a as a manager. You know, he got he got very best out of us. But I was just disappointed that he, he'd only offered me a year. And I, as I say, I'd just turned 30 in the era where, you know, you, you players were playing longer. And I said, look, I can't, you know, I've, got, I've got four kids. Um, you know, give me two years. I, you, know, I, you know, I'll sign it today. Um, but he wouldn't budge on the year. Um, and at the time, I was, um, I'd spoke to Brian Robson earlier in my career. And he was at, um, he was at West Brom. I'd, I'd had a chat with him about... Uh, West Brom and um, Kevin Campbell was there, who was a teammate of mine at Everton. Speaks speaking really highly about it, and you know he offered me three years. And I just thought probably the first time I'd ever made a decision on maybe something more than just the playing side of it. Maybe it was a little bit of um, stability for, for for me at that age. But again, like the Newcastle one, really, um, I should have probably backed myself uh, to to get a year and then get another year. So again, maybe maybe in hindsight, I, I should have stuck it out. But um, no, I, I went to West Brom. It didn't um, the first season uh, didn't didn't go to plan. So the great escape ended up being the, the very next season when I joined them. The actual the actual relegation, I think. And then uh, quickly into Tony Mowbray's tenure there, it was it was apparent that he wanted to go with a much younger side. And I think at the time there was myself, John Hartson, uh, Jason Kumas. And Chris Perry, the centre half. Mm -hmm. We were all sort of early mid thirties, and it wasn't what Mowbray wanted. So mm. rather than just rather than stay there and not play, we we, we ended up going. Out, I ended up going out on loan to Sheffield. Before we move on to Sheffield, can I just ask a question about Carnu because he was at West Brom with you? Um, did you see the best of him? Um, I seen it again. It's, it's probably something that I talked about. Tino. I seen just glimpses of magic. You'd get sessions where Brian used to do a session where you'd have two goals about thirty yards apart, and you'd have two two men either side of each goal, and then play the ball to to one of you, and then one of you'd be defending against the other one, and everybody'd be like looking up the pitch trying to work out what number Carnu was going to be, mm. and then like tying the laces or going and having the piss or something just to make sure you weren't one v one against them because he, he although he was a big lad, he had such quick feet and such great ability. Um, and you know he scored some he scored some great goals rather than you know being a great goal scorer I think is probably the best way to describe him. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Chef Wade. So you went initially on loan and then ended up signing for them on a on a full time basis. How would you reflect on your your time in Sheffield? Really, yeah, I love the club. Great times there. Good memories. Um, one in particular, I know, managing to score score the winner in the in the Steel City derby. Uh, problem was, I think, from the sort of from Chef Wed, and maybe it was because I was playing so young, and maybe it was because I was, you know, I was so athletic and gymnast, a uh, bit of a gymnast when I was younger. Um, I was really having problems with my hips, and come sort of West Brom, sort of 31, 32, um, I was really struggling with, with, with my hips, and um, we it was getting worse and worse at Chef Wed once I became a permanent player. and. It got it got to the stage where it really had a really poor quality of life. You know, I was 
I was struggling to turn over in bed. I was struggling to get in and out of the car after training. Mm. But yeah, somehow I was still playing in the championship. Sounded crazy, really. But I just learned how to manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just got to the stage where enough had to be enough. And I remember just doing a, remember doing a training session at, at Hillsworth, uh, Hillsborough. It was just after we played Sheffield United. We'd just done the double over Sheffield United. So that was my last ever game was uh, at Sheffield Chef United at, uh, at their place. And we won. And I remember going in, tough thing to do, but I, I remember going in end of the training session. I remember balls were being crossed from the right and I, and I couldn't actually get my knee higher than um, higher than hip height to try and control it. And um, I remember going in to see Brian Lords and I said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, like, but I, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm in so much pain. I couldn't, I couldn't. Uh, and he went, it's the middle of the season. And I, went, I know I said, I told you in the summer, I had a bit of a chat with him in the summer, I had a bit of a, Broke it down to him. I said, "Look, I said, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how long this is going to last, but we we decided to give it a go." Um, and I had some, yeah, I, had some, I never let them down. I, and I always, always, you know, always done well. But um, that was a tough thing to do to go in the middle mm-hmm. of the season and just say, "I'm going to have to call it a day." And once he'd got the initial shock out of his system, um, he was really supportive. You know, and I had I had an op- had an operation, um, had it repaired, but really it needed replaced. Uh, but they didn't want to replace it at 35 or 34. Mm-hmm. And then at yeah, 35, you're probably two, three years too late to give it another go because it's, it was an operation where I might have got another two or three years out of it. But they just said, if you do that, you know, you're going you're gonna to accelerate having to need a new hip. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, I'll call it a day. I've had 20 good years. Played, played, uh, played when I was 16, finished when I was 35. And I thought enough was enough. But it was a tough decision, really tough decision to make in the middle of a season. Mm. So from the day you've gone in, that training session you've talked about there, to saying that it's time to call it a day, to actually it being your last day, your last pay day as a Sheffield player, how how long did it take for that to happen, or was it then and there straight away cut your ties kind of thing? No, well, I was still a you know I was still a Sheffield player. I was still contracted till the end of the season, um, and you know because they were honourable people, they they honoured you know they honoured the contract. I got I think I got an operation early February, so you know it wasn't wasn't a full year. Early February, and then obviously I was out of contract in June. And, mm. and and that was my last sort of football contract. So yeah, I mean they 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 done everything. But I was also, you know, I was also ultimately an injured player, albeit you know, injured career end. But you know, I still done my rehab there. I was still there in, in there sort of three four times a week doing my rehab. They did everything, everything they could to get me you know, to get me fit to get, to get myself healthy again. Um, mm-hmm. So now they've done everything right. I've got no got no mm. problems with anything that happened there. Yeah, we had a couple of Sheffield players on recently, um, John Newsom and Julian Watson. Everyone seems to talk highly about playing for them as a club, so they must be well well run as a, in terms of being a player there. Yeah, it's a good it's a good club. Um, it's a good club. You know, I've, I've had I've had I've, it's worked at clubs and sometimes it's sort of like clubs it just hasn't worked at. And uh, you know, Chef Chef Wed, I was having a really really low time at, at West Brom, not 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 playing, um, not even in squads, um, training with the kids. So. It sort of it, it renewed us a little bit because obviously I was you know I wasn't I was I was 32 33 years old and I wasn't uh, I had nothing on a Saturday you know there was no there's no game to look forward to it just mm-hmm. made quite obvious that I wasn't going to be involved so um, so yeah no it was good to go there and play again feel feel like um, feel competitive again and when when you finished at Chef Wed Steve did you know that management was a route that you were going to go down as you did do in the end no I never um, I, I never really. I never really um, thought too far ahead, and I—it's uh, probably—it's probably 
the, the six, the five or six months out of football completely, I thought, you know, I thought to myself, I'm going to get me hit right. I'm going to just, you know, I've not had a break ever. So I'm just going to, um, you know, just enjoy, enjoy retirement. And if I, if I decide to coach, I'll, I'll, I'll go, go through the process. But it got about, it got about six weeks and I was just bored stiff. I missed it so much. Um, so as soon as I could, I, I went up to Scotland, done my UEFA Bay badge. And at the time, Lee, um, Lee allowed us to go back to Huddersfield and then um, eventually ended up getting a, having a role at Huddersfield, develop, like a development coach at first. And then obviously the more and more I, I coached, the more and more I realised that this, well, this is the only thing for me. This is, this is all I know. This is all I love. Um, so then I tried to put a plan together to start managing. Richie's put some stats together here about your Premier League finishes that uh, mm. makes for quite interesting reading. Don't know if you want to go through that, Richie. Yeah, I think uh, when we think about the guests that we've had on so far, I, I don't know if we'll have anyone who've accumulatively throughout their career had as many top six finishes. So you've, with Newcastle, you've had a third, a sixth and two seconds, two sixths at Villa, a fourth at Everton. That's seven top six finishes in your Premier League career amongst a load of others. That I mean, you must look back at your career and think you were unlucky not to to win more, given you're in some really good squads and and obviously had some really good seasons. Yeah, I've I've um, you know you you can't help but certainly with uh, certainly with Newcastle and the uh, and the, the first sort of second place finish, um, you can't help but keep looking back at that and just say like even even just even the one you no know, even even a, a title or a, or one trophy you know would. would, would Really put the icing on the cake, but now listen. I've, I've played. Um, I've played for some great clubs. I've played for some great managers. I've played with some great and, and against great players. But you know, I, as I say, the, the missing the missing thing for me is is to have a, a bit of silverware to show for it. But you know, I, you know, I've, 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 I've had a great, enjoyable career. I've uh, been very lucky. If we have one more question left for you, and uh, we are searching for shinies, uh, the shiny, I don't know if you collected the football stickers when you were a lad, but they were the most coveted stickers. We ask, who is your shiny player? So this is the best player you ever played with or against. Um, with, I'd probably still go back to Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, for six months, Ginola was untouchable. Virtually all of his time at Newcastle, Allen, you know, just supreme goal scorer. Spells with Wayne, Gaza, but... Overall, for me, Peter, and yeah. probably against the one that probably caused me most problems on a consistent basis would probably be Henri. Um, and as I say, I've been lucky enough to play against played against Rivaldo as a Dan. I've played against all the top Premier League players, but the one who constantly was a pain in my ass, uh, kept running down the right flank to cut in on it to, to, to open the goal up. Um, it was really like it was like an Olympic sprinter with a really mm. good touch playing against him. Uh, was Henri, but he was a nice bloke. In fairness to him, he wasn't a big <laughs> He was a nice bloke. Oh, nice! As he, as he skinned you, he was smiling. Yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen a fair bit of his number. <laughs> fair bit of Henri on his shirt. Selfishly, I really want to ask you: Did you play against Juninho, and what was he like? Yeah, played against him. Yeah, great player. Just. Um, there's nothing you could do with him because of his because of his speed and the um, and the the change of direction and the low center of gravity. You really could. It's it's like catching a fly. You just couldn't. Uh, <laughs> when he got good, he just couldn't. There's nothing you could do with him. 
That's one of my favourite ever photographs of football. That it's when I don't know if you remember. It's when mm-hmm. him and Philippe Albert had a bit of a row, and he's standing looking up with Philippe Albert pointing the finger at him, and Philippe yeah. was laughing. It's on the wall in the pub outside the stadium, I think. There's a picture of that. I found it when I was with you catch one day, I think. In the strawberry. strawberry. In yeah, the strawberry. strawberry. Yeah, it's on yeah, the wall yeah. in there. It's a belter. Right then, listeners, that was Steve Watto Watson. Uh, and for the millionth time, we've said it so many times before, what a lovely fella. Yet another mm. ex-footballer who's extremely humble, great sense of humour, very generous with his time. Now, obviously, when we're doing these interviews, Ketch and I, as you probably know by now, we do a lot of preparation, and we'll try and get as many questions in as we can in the time that we have. We never know how much time we're going to have. Watto gave us probably two and a bit hours. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, his his fiance was locked out because he said, <laughs> you won't need your key, I'll be able to let you in. But he's still chatting away to us, so we had to <laughs> pause the interview so we could let his fiance back in the house. Um but we still have you know, plenty of questions left that we don't get to ask. And there's a couple of players that I wanted to chat to him about with Aston Villa. But as you, as you heard, he was pretty keen to breeze past Villa. I want to talk about Benito Carbone because mm. he's a great 90s name and I loved him. Mm. Um, he came up very briefly, didn't he? Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was George Boateng. Boateng's mm. a, Bur- a Borough legend, a bit of a legend at Aston Villa, played for Coventry. And I wanted to ask him about Boateng because... Here's the thing about George Boateng, and I don't know if you know, agree with this catch. In fact, I'm going to ask you outright, what's your abiding memory of George Boateng? About what you're, straight away, what do you think of when I say George Boateng? You pointing out his house to me uh, on that street, from Yom High Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, well, Didn't Zenden live there as well? Yeah, well, it was, I think that was a borough-owned house. So I think Afonso, <laughs> Al- Afonso Alves, probably rocking back, I think at one point was in there. Oh, if those walls could talk. I know, heavily gated. Um <laughs> Well, the funny thing is that was just up the road from Yarm High Street and the mm-hmm. footballers would still drive into the town to go to Club Keys on a Saturday, probably a Friday night as well for some of them. But anyway, that's not what I was thinking of with George Boateng. So he played all those games, hundreds of appearances in the Premier League, and he played for Hull as well, I forgot to mention Hull, C- captain at a lot of these clubs. But the one abiding memory I've got of him is him sitting on the pitch at Man City at half-time in a coat that read sub as Phil Brown was... Oh. Do you remember that game? Oh, was he? I remember the game. I didn't realise he was in amongst that rabble. He got he was taken off after about half an hour, and he's just sitting there, just looking like a, a naughty schoolboy, oh. absolutely demoralised. Like this guy's played for Holland, mm. well loved everywhere he's played, and mm. now all I can think of is him sitting on the pitch. Ugh. It's just not Phil fair, Brown, is it? man. Phil know, Brown as well. Phil, I know. Yeah. Well, I don't. <laughs> I don't think he's the most popular of of managers, is he? But um, anyway, thoughts catch. You enjoyed the interview with Watson, obviously. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. And uh, just brought back so many memories for me. And I collect a bit of 90s memorabilia. Uh, I love to collect, you know, the old cards, the, the figures, the stickers, the posters, the mags. And I had a little look through and I found Steve Watson's Pro Match Series 3 1998 card, which is tremendous. It's uh, I'll, Again, I'll post a picture of this on our social media. It's like a big caricature picture of the players that's been uh, hand drawn uh, he looks like Butch Dingle in the in the picture let me, let me see it on the camera uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't look anything yes. like him they've were really they in, stitched were him. they in cereal packets I think they probably, were, do you remember when you used probably. to get toys in your cereal yeah I just remember my little brother like just 
opening a brand new packet and just rifling through yeah. but his dirty hands all over the cereal. That rings a bell. I think they were in the cereal packets. That rings a bell. But this card is 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 fantastic. Um, it's got uh, quite a bit of information on the back. I want to read out some of this. It's got his, uh, Steve Watson's game ability mm-hmm. uh, in percentage. So this is precursor to FIFA stats, really. Mm. Heading, 67%. Speed, 86 Wow. Temperament, 85 okay. I don't know if that's good. 85% angry or 85% <laughs> chilled. <laughs> Positioning. This is this is harsh. Positioning, 79%. I think that's a bit harsh. And uh, stamina, 85%. And it says, uh, Steve used to be referred to by the Toon Army as the everywhere man. Literally mm. never heard anyone describe him that. Uh, <laughs> he would fill any gap on the pitch as long as he got a game. At one stage, he was even seen as the black and white recognised striker, and he did an admirable job, even though he was playing completely out of position. Now, he seemingly has made the right-back position his own and even made it into the England squad for the friendly against Cameroon. Steve, who is a born and bred Geordie, could find himself playing in the World Cup if his form continues, and Kenny Daglish will be the first to say that he deserves it. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he was in the... I didn't realise he, he was quite modest about his England. He did mention England, but... Um, he didn't get a cup, did he? No, he didn't, but he was in the squad. He played for England B, yeah. He, he played in every... Oh. I think he played at every age group except the seniors, which was a bit unfortunate. And there is actually... There's a question, if you turn the card upside down, which I'm going to ask you, because I know you're going to stitch me up with a quiz in a second, yeah, but I'm okay. just going to stitch you up. If you get this quest, if you get this right, I'll uh-huh. give you £100. Oh, right, OK. Um, I'll never see that money. <laughs> the question is, 94-95... Oh, it's a bit early for me. Who scored his first goal for Arsenal when they beat Notts Forest in February? Well, first of all, it's Nottingham Forest. Well, this is what the card says, Notts Forest, which is which is really bad, isn't it? That's disgraceful. Forest fans will be fuming. I know, apologies. If we had any Forest listeners, hopefully left over from Chettle episode one. We've just lost them. They'd be screaming at that. So who scored their first goal for? Arsenal. Yeah, against Nottingham Forest in 94. Yeah, in, in February. Um, I've never heard of this player. <laughs> Oh God! Um, Ninety-four. Oh, we've well, you've never heard of him, so that's not ideal, is it? I know. Honestly, I, I'm gonna need to Google him to check that it's correct. What, give me his initials. A T. No idea. Adam Tanner. Oh, I would never have got that. I... Have you ever heard of him? No, I was going through like foreign names. I'm googling Tanner now. This is it's, 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 it says he's never played for Arsenal. <laughs> the the Tanner I've got never played for Arsenal. Interesting. Uh, and okay, okay. We'll look into that in a bit more detail, but uh, maybe we've found a mistake. Just going back to that card, they had positioning down as seventy something, saying that he's a, an everywhere man. Mm-hmm. But that's a bit harsh. Like he's been stitched up a bit there by that card. They're saying that he's yeah. out out of position when he can mm-hmm. play in every position. Mm-hmm. Poor Steve. Yeah, well, pro match, you know, not as good as yeah, the no, tops yeah. Merlin that we that we go with. So no. Anyway, is it time for our little quiz? Yes, it is. I think so. Okay, so as I alluded to in the intro, you stitched me up over the course of a two-week period, which is bang out of order. Um, Not really. I asked you some questions you really should have known the answers to. but And what I should have done was researched it in between the two episodes, but I was just too busy doing anything else. So... <laughs> This one is a this one's this is bad because if you get this wrong, it's it really is going to be embarrassing given the nature of our show. So I'm going to ask you, bear in mind we've done about a year's worth of a deep dive into this season, the ninety six ninety seven season. I'm going to ask you to name all of the managers of the clubs. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay, okay. Right, so I'm going to run. I'm going to name the club, and I want you to name the manager. Okay. Oh God. I don't know what's deemed as a pass or a fail here. If you get, if you get, I'm going to be generous. If you get three wrong, it's a fail. Oh. So you're you're allowed to get two wrong, but not three. I'm going to struggle. Okay. Are you ready? Struggle. Go on then. Okay. Arsenal. Arsenal Wenger. Correct. You're looking at your screen there. You're not cheating, are no. you? No, no, no. Okay. I just saw your eyes just flicking left and right. They're still doing it. What are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> are you cheating? Nothing. No. If, Continue. Honestly. All right. Uh, Aston Villa. Brian Little. Okay. Yeah. Blackburn. Ray Harford. Yes. Chelsea. Ruth Hollett. Yeah. Coventry. Big Ron. Yeah. Come on. Derby. Bald Eagle. Correct. Everton. Joe Royal. Yeah. Leeds. George Graham. Yes. Leicester. Martin O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Liverpool. Roy Evans. Yeah. Man United. Fergie. Man City. Man City? They're not in the fucking league? Good. That was a curveball. Ah, you little fucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're clearly reading the pages. I'm not um, reading the pages. Okay, I can see the book on your desk. Anyway, Borough. Robson. Newcastle. Keegan. Nottingham Forest. Frank Clark. Chef Wed. Oh, shit. Pleaty. Ah, oh, this is killing me. Uh, Southampton. Sooness. Oh, God. Is that right? Yeah. Sunderland. Peter Reid. Spurs. Spurs. Oh, I've got him. Spurs. I've got him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got him. Get in there. Jerry Francis. Oh, you looked at the yeah. screen and saw it. I saw it. Is, is, it, is it Francis? Yes, it is. It's yeah. a hair. We've got the, the, the sticker with the hair. Who do we talk about? Because the managers had stickers in this in this book. Somebody went to... Who signed for Spurs? We, oh, Rule Fox. Talked about Rule Fox, yeah. A, yeah, a week yeah. ago. Um, West Ham. Harry Redner. And Wimbledon. Oh. Joking, yeah? Well done. Is that it? Yeah. Yes! Come on! You've got them all. Oh... Wounded. Come on, I, I panicked a bit with uh, Spurs. I'm going to have to come up with another quiz now just to stitch you up because I'm not happy. I proved myself there and you need to congratulate me. I've said well done. What more do you want? I think I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to edit some more applause in. Okay. I will give myself uh, more work about that. in the edit, but I deserved it, I've earned it. You did do well there. I think um, you didn't panic. Um, you. I mean, yes, you, your eyes were flicking back and forward like you were watching a tennis match. No, I've got. I'm operating on a two-screen system here. Yeah, the book on one. No, no. Your notes on the other. No, no, no not at okay. all. Not at all. Yeah, I just, I just did well better in the quiz than, than you did in the sponsors quiz, and you didn't get Tanner either, the the player that <laughs> neither of us have ever heard of. Um, mm, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that that's that's that. Um, listener, I feel like searching for shiny season two, drawing to some sort of a conclusion in terms of the regularity with 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 which we do these episodes have been gifting you these every Friday, and that's going to continue for at least one more week. Uh, we have... Well, I've just had a thought, Ketch. Just sorry to interrupt you there. Oh, God, what? We're both big fans of Ricky Gervais, and the formula for his shows has been six or so episodes for two seasons. Mm-hmm. Christmas special. Ah. What have we got coming out on Christmas Eve? Is it the Searching for Shani's Christmas special? It is. It's the Gaza special documentary. Asterix, mm-hmm. if I can finish the edit in time. Mm. We and it, by the way, it's an absolute treat. Uh, been listening to this back, putting it together. Um, there's some phenomenal 
content coming your way, listener. Um, in fact, let me let me give you a little teaser. Um, I sent this to you earlier today, Richie. It is mm. the I've had to label um, the stories mm-hmm. so, so, to to remind us of, of what the content is. So we've got mm. uh, half a dozen clips from of Gaza stories of players who've been on the show. I'll just quickly go through half a dozen. It's more than more than half a dozen. Sorry, yeah, a dozen. Yeah, a, a dozen. Uh, we've got a dozen different. Uh, clips from players who've guested on the show and I'm going to read through the file names just to give you a flavour of, of what we've got we've got Bridges Wine Gum Addiction mm. that's one mm-hmm. Gillespie Streaker's Drinks <laughs> Higgy Snooker Cat <laughs> that's, that's unmissable yeah. that one that's unmissable <laughs> to... you have to listen to that one I think that's going to kick the whole thing off because it's just mm. phenomenal <laughs> Lee Dixon, England Michelin man. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Maddo bus crash betting. Like, Maddo story he tells <laughs> is an absolute corker. It's yeah, so yeah. good. And he's got two. The second Maddo clip is called Maddo race police snooker coffee cup. That's that's the one. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's the one I was thinking of. It's so good. Powell, say hello to dad. Mm-hmm. Like these could be racehorse names. They are. It feels like the Grand National. Yeah. Steve Chettle, sword fighting Julian Dix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sullivan Spurs test event. This is a belter. Watto Beans golf Italian piss wedding. <laughs> uh, I can't. Remember. I'm not sure I can remember that one. Watto's got two as well, like Maddo. The second one is Watto mattress salesman Rooney. Oh yes, I remember that one. And then the last one, Watsy testimonial, Waddle whiskey, Chris Evans. Mm-hmm. So, oh, there you go, listeners. That is coming your way. I mean, if, if that's not a teaser, I don't know what is. Yeah, we've teased. Yeah, we've teased. So that, that's 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 coming next week, and then thereafter, we're probably all going to have a break. But you know, if 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 anything falls in our lap, if an Alan Shearer replies to us, we'll probably find time in the diary for for Big Al. It's probably also worth saying, listeners. You've got a very small window of time to get your correspondence in. I mean, it's, mm. it's been flooding in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking of all the things now, actually. Um, yes, that the, the inbox is a bit bare, to be yeah. honest with you, listeners. So if you want to get in touch with us, let us know you're out there. Yeah. We'd appreciate that. Let us know you've got a pulse. Um, <laughs> the stats the stats are saying there's hundreds, thousands of you out there, but uh, we haven't heard from you. So where are you, mm. Delia Smith style? So, yeah, you can, you can get in touch with us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. The same address is at the shiny pod. Like us and you know, give us some nineties football crack. And we're gonna, as ever, let the player sign us off. And I just wanted to point out to you, we did over two hours with Watto. This is the second part that you've just listened to. Listen to the slight reluctance in his voice to say <laughs> our catchphrase. Bearing in mind we've done over two hours with us, and this is the last thing we asked him to do. So Watto, mm. over to you. Nice and enthusiastic. One last time. Keep it shiny.